Please rise now for the reading of God's word and turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 31, reading verses 7 through 8, and this is found on page 203 of the church Bible. Give all your attention now to the reading of God's revealed truth. Then Moses called Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and of good courage, for you must go with this people to the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall cause them to inherit it. And the Lord, he is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Now turn in your Bibles to John chapter 14. Reading verses 15 to 18. This is found on page 1059. Again, hear the truth of our God. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth, whom, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. This ends the reading of God's word, and let us remember that all flesh is like grass, and all of its glory is like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord abides forever. And all of God's people said, Amen. Please be seated. Let us go to our God once again in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, again we thank you that we can come before your you and your word this morning and pray that you would teach us and instruct us, that you would feed us as the sheep of your pasture from your word, that truth that will strengthen our faith and that we might bear much fruit from that. So guide and direct us now by your Holy Spirit, enlightening our eyes, our minds, our our souls, that again we might behold these wonderful things out of your word in this Psalm 23, which we thank you for. And we ask this in Christ's name, our good shepherd. Amen. So this morning we continue our examination of Psalm 23, the testimony of a shepherd, and how that reveals to us a relationship, a spiritual relationship with our God as sheep to our shepherd. The Bible reveals that God is a shepherd to his people. Now I continue to use Joel Beakey's book, The Lord Shepherding His Sheep. Last week, we began the second half of verse 4, 4a and b, and we considered the shepherd's protection and our spiritual growth in darkness, difficulty, and death as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And then we considered the shepherd's protection and our spiritual courage. Our text stated, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And today, then, we continue with verse 4, part C and D. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And we shall examine the shepherd's companionship and the shepherd's comfort. First, considering verse 4, part C, for thou art with me. When summoned to a trial for his beliefs, Martin Luther resolved to stand firm, even if opposed, by all the powers of hell, and so many devils waited for him as there were tiles on the rooftop. Do you know what lies at the core of this kind of spiritual courage? 
The answer is Christ's companionship. As David wrote, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Or for this reason, because you are with me, I will fear no evil. The shepherd's protection through dark valleys promotes spiritual growth and fosters spiritual courage, but both are rooted in his companionship. Thou art with me is inherent in all the prayers and desires of true believers. Without this assurance, there would be no gospel, there would be no salvation. To be with Christ, enjoying God's favor, is the best part of the gospel. His presence turns every darkest valley into paradise. Christ is the delight of all the hopes of his people. His presence is better than life, but his absence is worse than death. So first we shall consider the essence of the shepherd's companionship, then its security, and then the experience of it. So first, the essence of our shepherd's companionship. As the essence of divine protection is divine companionship, so the essence of divine companionship is divine communion. By nature, we are without God in the world, separated from him by our sins, as we see in Ephesians 2.12. No heart can feel and no tongue can express the awful wretchedness and ruin which sin has cast us into. In separating us from God, sin has severed us from the fountain of life, from happiness and holiness. Our fall in Adam has ruined us. It has made us love sin and hate God. Every thought and inclination of our natural minds and hearts seek to find pleasure and satisfaction in something abhorrent to the will of the living God. Despite our sinfulness, God has used man's fall into sin and all of its miserable consequences to reveal the glorious love of Christ. As the church's head and husband, Christ could not take his bride to himself in all her filth and guilt. He had to first redeem her with his own blood and with his sufferings that no one on earth or in heaven could ever have witnessed before. Having reconciled his bride unto God, Christ now visits members of his elect church with saving grace to sanctify and cleanse them with the washing of regeneration of the word. Present and also present to himself that glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing as we see in Ephesians 5. Christ's companionship and communion, therefore, begin with regeneration. Christ provides or promises to love his bride, cherish her, feed her, and to count her interests as her own, her honor as his honor, and her happiness as his happiness. Christ promised from eternity to be her everything pertaining to her happiness, honor, perfection, and glory. Thus there must be union before communion, regeneration before companionship, betrothal before possession, and membership before abiding in Christ and he in us. 
Now this is the work of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit stirs sinners to feel their need for Christ. The Spirit quickens needy sinners to seek everything in Christ, to believe in Him unto everlasting life, and to live by faith in Him. And brought to faith in Christ by the Holy Spirit, the child of God can then say, You are with me. All these wonders of free grace are granted when God's people are enlightened by the Holy Spirit. In companionship and communion, the Holy Spirit wins the affection of the flock for the shepherd. The sheep behold God's beloved Son as the chiefest among 10,000 and altogether lovely, Song of Solomon 5, 10, and 16. And they love him. They rejoice like the bridegroom in the Song of Solomon. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. Religion is empty without a living faith and love for Jesus Christ. Only when we seek his face and experience his presence through the word and spirit will we experience joy in worship, in the worship of God as communion when Christ brings heaven down to earth. We must seek the means of grace in the ordinances of worship, the reading of the Bible, the preaching of the word, the power of prayer, and fellowship with other believers. But only Christ can infuse life and joy into those means of grace. Without him, worship is dark and dreary, wandering thoughts, uh, formality, and emptiness abound. At times, God leaves us in this valley to show us that, that without him, we cannot do anything. He is our light, and without him, all is dark. He is our life, and without him, all is death. He is the author and finisher of our faith, the substance of our hope, and the object of our love. All true faith flows from communion with God in Christ by his Spirit. Now, this fellowship implies mutual interest, mutual contact, and mutual participation. Communion is not one-sided, but requires the sharing of life and affection. Christ fulfills his office as the mediator between God and man by bringing God's love down to us on earth and lifting us up to heaven to behold his glory. God was not obligated to share his divine love with us, for he is love from eternity to eternity. He exists in love with the three persons of the Trinity and the sacred Godhead. But it pleased him to share this love with his chosen people despite their unworthiness to receive it. The nature and delight of this love is grace. And it's given especially to his people, and he asks all of them to return to him love. So the heart of divine communion is delighting in being loved and to love. So that's the essence of our shepherd's companionship with us. Now let us consider its security. Christ's companionship means safety and security for God's flock. Thou art with me guarantees divine protection 
because the shepherd walks with his sheep throughout their life as their Savior and Lord. That means the following points. First, thou art with me guarantees the shepherd will fight for his sheep. This shepherd will fight every roaring lion or beast that threatens them. Ironically, God's people discover that it often takes more courage for them to trust their shepherd than to face a lion. They resist relying on divine strength and surrendering themselves to him. By weakening their strength, Christ teaches them that submission and surrender are key to victory. Christ as willing king then takes over their battles and fights for them. God's people receive new strength in learning how to depend upon him on his divine companionship. He confirms his own word to us. My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. 2 Corinthians 12.9 Secondly, thou art with me guarantees the sheep that the shepherd Christ is with them in the dark valleys. His companionship gives people courage in entering those valleys, in going through those valleys, and in finally leaving those valleys. The long march of the living church through all generations reveals that God travels with his people through the shadows and into the light. Thirdly, thou art with me guarantees that Christ died as our substitute and arose to give us life. Christ gave himself to death in the place of his church and continues to quicken his church and to keep her alive. Christ leaped into the depths of divine wrath that sinners deserved. He died not merely for sweet children, but also for criminals, lawbreakers, and rebels of our fallen race. He redeemed a multitude of sons and daughters to himself. And finally, thou art with me, guarantees that Christ will never forsake his people. God must cease to be God before he can cast away one soul that trusts in Christ. The mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but his kindness will not depart from his sheep. As he declares, I will never leave you nor forsake you. As we read in Deuteronomy, quoting, and also Hebrews 13.5, this is one of the most gracious promises that he makes to us. Thus it is not in consequence, as we see, uh, this is uh, quoting from the canons of Dort, thus it is not in consequence of their own merits or strength, but of God's free mercy, that they do not totally fall from faith and grace, nor continue and perish finally in their backslidings, which, with respect to themselves, is not only possible, but would undoubtedly happen. But with respect to God, it is utterly impossible, since his counsel cannot change, nor his promise fail. Neither can the call, neither can the call according to his purpose be revoked, nor the merit, intercession, and preservation of Christ be rendered ineffectual, nor the sealing of the Holy Spirit be frustrated or obliterated. That's canons, uh, the Canons of Dort, 5th head, Article 8, on the preservation of the saints. 
It's impossible that we would fall away forever because of his promise, because of his keeping of his sheep. God will remain faithful forever for his people. So we've considered the essence and security of that companionship. Let us now consider the experience of that companionship. Have you experienced the companionship and communion with God? Have you met this Christ who fights his people's battles, accompanies them through dark valleys, died as their substitute, and now lives to give them life and will never forsake them? Can you say, I trust the Lord has begun his good work in me through Jesus Christ? I have tasted something of his communion. I've encountered his power and I've heard his voice speaking to me through his word and spirit. Can you say that? Can you confess that this morning? Communion with God requires agreeing with God, agreeing with what he says in the gospel. We must agree that we deserve damnation and are utterly unworthy of eternal life. We must agree that God is holy, righteous, wise, and good. We must give our amen to the sovereignty and beauty of God's grace in salvation through Jesus Christ. Only if we find God to be a consuming fire outside of Christ, but a friend closer than a brother in Christ, will we value God's companionship with us. Though a believer's faith may increase or decrease, the deepest and truest desire of his heart is to walk with God in love. Children of God, whether you have little faith or great faith, your shepherd will be with you to protect you through all life's journeys. And last, let's consider embracing the shepherd's companionship in the valley of death. The companionship of Christ is most precious when we walk through the shadow of death. The valley of darkness and death is the way for believers to walk into life and the light of heaven. We must all walk through the valley of death. Are you prepared for that journey? Are you ready for that time when life will come to an end? The greatest issue is not how we face this life, but how we face eternity. Are we ready to appear before the judgment seat of Christ? Death's dark valley may seem far away. You may not have had those startling warnings of mortality. But you must heed the warning. Today, if you hear his voice, Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. From Hebrews 4. Scripture warns us to flee from the wrath to come, and not once does it allow any person any excuse before the tribunal of God. Some people appear to walk backwards to the grave so that they will not see it, only to be surprised when they fall in. Our dream of the present will be shattered If physical death leads us to eternal death in hell, it will be unspeakable agony never to have known the companionship of God. Death drives the ungodly into the bleak and dreary pastures of eternal condemnation. Hell knows nothing of the companionship with God. 
but it'll be completely different, however, for the sheep that the Lord leads through the valley of death. Their shepherd is also the lamb who died for their sins. He walks with them through the darkest moments. Even when they cannot see him, he is by their side. Death for them will be but the gateway to eternal life with him in glory where they will rejoice forever. In the hope of everlasting joy in the presence then, Christians are empowered to say now, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. Is Christ your shepherd? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will live with him forever. So having considered the shepherd's companionship in the valley of the shadow of death and the valley of death, let us now consider the shepherd's comfort in the valley of death. In verse 4d, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. The shepherd of old struggled with many difficulties. He was exposed to extreme heat and cold. His food consisted primarily of what he could gather from the earth, such as nuts and berries and wild honey. He had to defend his flock against attacks from wild beasts, including lions and bears and wolves. He also faced the threat of wildfires and also thieves who would kill him and steal his flock. The shepherd confronted these hardships with a minimum of equipment, especially when traveling with his flock from pasture to pasture. He carried a small tent, a bag, and two sticks. These wooden sticks are still used today by some shepherds in the Mideast and Africa. David spoke of these sticks in verse 4 here in Psalm 23, calling them thy rod and thy staff. The rod is a club, perhaps two or three feet long, with one end thick and heavy for striking. And the staff is a slender stick, several feet long, with a crook or hook at one end for grasping and lifting. The shepherd would carry the rod on his belt and lean on his staff as he walked with the sheep. These tools were constantly with him, and over time became, as it were, extensions of his own arm. In our psalm, David uses these tools of the shepherd to symbolize two aspects of the Lord's activity in caring for his sheep as the divine shepherd. Together, his rod and staff bring comfort and security to the flock of God. So first we shall consider the comfort of the shepherd's rod, and then the comfort of the shepherd's staff. The rod in the Bible often represents Christ's authority and strength. According to Isaiah 11.4, the Lord Jesus shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth. Christ will shatter the wicked among the nations with a rod of iron, Psalm 2.9. A rod of iron which is not made of iron, but is a wooden club with pieces of iron embedded in its head. The ancient Greek translation of Psalm 2 in the Septuagint literally says, you will shepherd them with the rod, with an iron rod. In scripture, the shepherd's rod serves two main functions. It helps defend the sheep and to count and examine them. 
So first, the rod of defense. The shepherd's rod is a deadly club. A Middle Eastern shepherd said, one good blow from it will kill or cripple to utter disability almost any ferocious animal. David knew the power of this weapon. He said to Saul, thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock, and I I went out after him and smote him and delivered it out of its mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. First Samuel 7, uh, 17, 34 to 35. Now David had no sword, so he must have conquered the beasts with a rod. In the hand of a skillful, skillful shepherd, a rod can crush the venomous serpent's head. Christ Jesus, the good shepherd, also uses his rod to defend his sheep. This protection calms the sheep and gives them comfort. Oh, how glorious is Christ when he comes forth with the weapons of his warfare, weapons of eternal power and might to fight the serpent that would poison our souls and to destroy the roaring lion that would tear us in pieces. The rod of our shepherd is the rod of his mouth, the breath of his lips, Isaiah 11.4. That is the word inspired and empowered by his spirit. Christ Jesus uses his word in the lives of his people to drive away their enemies. He speaks, it is written, and thus saith the Lord to their souls. This power enables their hands to fight against their foes. Strong in the Lord, they resist the devil, and he must flee. The word of the Lord is mighty. With heaven's stamp of authority, the word of God becomes the believer's water, food, warmth, counselor, heritage, and rock of defense. It is a book of wisdom, a fountain of sweetness, a treasury of riches, a medicine for all diseases, a tune with perfect harmony, and a mirror of divine beauty. It is also a mighty rod the shepherd uses to defend his people against all enemies. The word of God is inextricably bound up with Christ's mission to save his people. Stepping out of the waters of baptism into the fire of trial, Jesus countered every temptation with the phrase, it is written, and then quoted scripture. By giving his life as the substitute for his people in fulfillment of God's word, Christ earned the right to wield God's word for their eternal defense against their enemies. Even now, while seated at the Father's right hand, Christ does not lay down the holy rod of the word. As high priest of the church, he pleads the word in his intercession so that no accuser can condemn his flock or separate them from his love. He intercedes with the merits of his blood on the foundation of God's everlasting covenant. As king, even in the darkest night, Christ lies at the at your door with his rod in his hand. He never sleeps nor slumbers. He can destroy any enemy, no matter how strong. In his royal hands, the word of God has power to cast down all strongholds and everything else that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. He takes every thought captive to obey him. 
The shepherd defends his sheep and conquers all enemies, including sin, unbelief, Satan, the world, and death. By faith, we must freely entrust our souls to this faithful Redeemer, making him the custodian of us, soul and body, both in this world and the next. Believing that the hands once pierced by nails now wield the rod, we trust that we will never perish, for no one can snatch us out of his hand. Though you are one of Christ's sheep, perhaps you lack the boldness of faith. Yet weak faith cannot lessen the power of Christ's truth. The shepherd's rod is strong to defend you. He who defended you yesterday will not cease to guard you today or tomorrow. Scripture also says that the flock passes under the rod. When the shepherd brings his sheep into the fold in the evening, he holds out the rod so that the sheep can only enter one at a time, enabling him to count them. If any sheep are missing, the shepherd sounds the alarm and the search is raised. This is also a time for the shepherd to examine each sheep. Ezekiel used the passing of the sheep under the rod as a metaphor for God sorting out his true sheep from outsiders, just as he judged Israel in the wilderness. In Ezekiel 20, Ralph Alexander writes, Only when a sheep passed under its shepherd's rod did it indicate that a sheep belonged to that shepherd. Christ uses the rod of his powerful word to search for and prove or test his people. They may grow weary of Christ's tests and trials in the valley of the shadow of death. Yet the true sheep of Christ long to pass under Christ's rod to experience his searching and to know that they are in his fold. As David prayed, search me, O God, and know my heart and try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Psalm 139. God's people find comfort in being numbered and examined among the Lord's flock. They willingly pass under his rod for their joy and hope is to belong to him. The believer can confess with Heidelberg Catechism question one, what is your only comfort in life and in death? That I with body and soul, both in life and in death, am not my own, but belong unto my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ who with his precious blood has fully satisfied for all my sins and delivered me from all the power of the devil, and so preserves me that without the will of my Father in heaven not a hair can fall from my head, indeed that all things must work together for my salvation, and wherefore by his Holy Spirit he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing from now on to live unto him. The comfort of all comforts is to be able to say by faith, the Lord counts me as one of his. I am in the valley of the shadow of death, but I am one of the Lord's purchased flock. I am undergoing heavy trials, but I am numbered among his redeemed. Now we may be as inconsequential as the dust in the balance, as smoking flax or as bruised reeds, but in the eye of the Heavenly Father, we are precious jewels. 
as sheep of the good shepherd, we will be guarded by him all the way to the end. Therefore, we can say, thy rod comforts me. Let us now consider the comfort of the shepherd's staff. Whereas the rod is used to strike predators, the staff guides the sheep along their journey. Philip Keller, a shepherd, writes, In a sense, the staff, more than any other item of his personal equipment, identifies the shepherd as a shepherd. No one in any other profession carries a shepherd's staff. It is uniquely an instrument used for the care and management of sheep and only sheep. It will not do for cattle, horses, or hogs. The staff is a symbol of a shepherd's compassion for his sheep. Just as with the rod, Christ uses his staff through his word and spirit, we must never attempt to separate the word from the spirit. For the word without the spirit does not impart life, and the spirit without the word tends to promote mysticism. But when the word and spirit are united, they offer truth, life, power, and comfort. Thus the Lord Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the spirit of truth, John fourteen seventeen, and says that his words are spirit and life. The spirit of Christ uses the word to direct his sheep to keep them in the way of Christ. Christ also calls the Holy Spirit another comforter, The word for this in the original Greek is parakletos, which means more than our English translation. It means someone called alongside to help, whether by pleading our cause, instructing us, or abiding with us to comfort us. God's people receive the Holy Spirit as paraclete, meaning helper, intercessor, advocate, comforter, and counselor all rolled into one. As Christ is our advocate in heaven, the Holy Ghost is the advocate in our souls. Through Christ, the Holy Spirit turns impossibility into possibility and necessity into reality for his sheep. Jesus said of him, he will guide you into all truth. He shall glorify me for for he shall receive of mine and show it unto you. Christ's sheep need the comforting presence of his spirit. Now the staff is a staff of guidance. As a shepherd uses his staff to guide his sheep into the paths that he chooses, Christ directs his flock through his word and spirit. We are not to determine our shepherd's will by examining our dreams or our emotions unusual happenings, or go to fortune tellers, or read horoscopes, or astrology boards, or putting the Lord to the test. Rather, we are to heed the ordinary means by which the shepherd leads his flock to discern his will. First, the shepherd guides his sheep by directing us to read the word. That means we must read the scriptures, hear the word preached, Meditate upon the word and obey the word. The Bible is the rule of faith and life for the Christian. Everything in life, whether reason, emotion, experience, common sense, or science, must adapt to the scripture and not scripture to it. 
Jesus said in John 10, 27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. The Bible is God's revealed will to fallen man and the infallible guide for every area of life. As 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17 says, All scripture is inspired by God or breathed out by God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Thomas Watson said, Read the word as a book made by God himself. It is the library of the Holy Ghost. Second, we must pray for the Holy Spirit's assistance in interpreting God's word. Within God's people, the Holy Spirit uses God's word to teach them and and give them discernment, to encourage them to pursue paths of righteousness, to rebuke them when they sin, to guide them in those paths of righteousness, and to apply the word to specific situations. And thirdly, pray for God's Uh, Pray for God to fulfill the promises of his word through the works of providence and enable you to do his will as the spirit opens your eyes to see it. Do not assume that God has denied your request if his answer is denied or delayed. For God often hides his face for a time because his will may have more to do than what we are expecting or asking. Also, be careful how you interpret providence. Obstacles and difficulties in your path do not necessarily mean that God frowns upon you or upon your endeavor. And above all, rely on God's revealed word in Scripture rather than on extraordinary providences. John Flavel acknowledged that in Scripture, God sometimes revealed his will using extraordinary ways to men like Samuel and David. But he warned, but now all are tied up to the ordinary standing rule of the written word and must not expect any such extraordinary revelations from God. The way we now have to know the will of God concerning us in difficult cases is to search and study the scriptures. And where we find no particular rule to guide in this or that particular case, there we are to apply general rules. Fourth, God also tells us to use conscience to give us direction when it is informed by Scripture and renewed by the Spirit. Conscience is the knowledge of God, of God's moral law written on the heart and is therefore a reliable guide, but only if it agrees with Scripture. When conscience speaks scripturally, it is of great value, for it condemns what is wrong and commends what is right in thoughts, words, and actions, thereby restraining much sin and promoting much good. Richard Sibb says, Conscience looks to God, it is placed as God's deputy and vice-regent in man. And finally, the Holy Spirit uses the counsel of fellow believers to direct his sheep in right paths. A mature Christian whose mind is saturated with scripture can often see a dilemma more objectively and offer a wise solution to our dilemma. 
Solomon commends such counsel many times in the book of Proverbs. He says, where no counsel is, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Proverbs eleven fourteen. And again, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. But he that hearkens unto counsel is wise. Proverbs twelve fifteen. Generally speaking, it is not wise to seek counsel from an unconverted friend in spiritual, moral, or ethical issues. Also bear in mind that not every child of God is fit to dispense godly counsel. Discernment must be made or used in selecting whom to approach for advice. And all advice must be prayerfully laid beside Scripture. These five means of discovering God's will afford great comfort to God's people. And we must remember that we do not lead ourselves, that we do not choose our own paths. It is the shepherd who leads us. We need not understand all things, but only faithfully follow the direction of his staff. And the second use of the staff is that of uplifting to free the sheep from something that they've entangled themselves in. As a shepherd's staff often has a, a crook or a hook at the end, he uses that to pull them out of that entanglement, whether it be a pit or ravine or, or a, a thicket of thorns. Sins of omission and commission in the life of a believer can be that sort of spiritual entanglement for the sheep where Christ has to pull us out, if you will, by that hook of his word. And Christ does not forget us at such times when we get stuck in such thickets. Though we may have forfeited his care, we may have neglected the means of grace and deserve what we're getting, he does not forsake us. He is that very present help in time of trouble that we see in Psalm 46. He does not deal with us after our sins or reward us according to our iniquities, Psalm 103. If we are too weak to walk, he places us on his shoulders and on his shoulders and brings us back to the fold, satisfied with no other reward that, than that we are safe. As Ezekiel wrote, For thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I, even I, will both search my sheep and seek them out, as a shepherd seeks out his flock in the day that he is among his sheep that are scattered. So will I seek out my sheep and will deliver them out of all the places where they have been scattered in the cloudy and dark day. How patient is Christ and his spirit are in preventing us from being overwhelmed by the sorrows that we have brought upon ourselves. Now, sometimes the mere touch of the shepherd's staff is enough to remind us of his loving presence. Keller writes, Sometimes I have been fascinated to see how a shepherd will actually hold his staff against the side of some sheep that is a special pet or favorite, simply so that they are in touch. They will walk along this way as though it were hand in hand. The sheep obviously enjoys this special attention from the shepherd and revels in the close, personal, intimate contact between them. 
To be treated in this way by the shepherd is to know comfort in a deep dimension. It is a delightful and moving picture, wrote Philip Keller. In the same way, Christ communicates with us by his word and spirit to say, I am here, I am with you, I love you, do not be afraid. In these moments, Christ dwells in the heart by faith, and the believer experiences that divine love that passes knowledge. He hears the Spirit say, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen you. Yea, I will help you. I will uphold you with my right hand of righteousness. Isaiah 41.10 Then the sheep of God can say with all their hearts, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Amen. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we do give thanks for this word to us, that you are with us, never to leave us, and that your rod and your staff, they do provide comfort and protection for us in the deep, dark valleys of this life, including the valley of death. We thank you for this true word that you have revealed to us in this Psalm 23, and knowing that it is of great comfort to many Christians throughout the millennia, we pray that you would help us to understand it to believe it more firmly, and truly garner this benefit from it in our Christian walk. Forgive us for the ways that we have run away, as sheep do, uh, after their own way, and help us, Lord, to follow you and follow you closely. For we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.